こんにちは、みなさん。ビジネスサクセスジャパンのポッドキャストへようこそ。Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Success Japan Podcast. This is your host, Liddy Buchelman. My main goal here is to create an easily accessible resource for those who want to develop Japan specific communication skills, especially in business. While I can't and won't promise to make you fluent in Japanese, I hope that you will walk away from each episode with a skill, piece of information, or shift in mindset that will help you be more effective in your interactions with Japanese business people. In today's episode, I get to share with you a conversation I had with Anil Raj, a serial entrepreneur in a wide range of industries in Japan. I unfortunately made the mistake of researching his business before having breakfast myself and learned all about the delicious, authentic Indian food at his restaurants. Though he'll tell you more about this and his other ventures during our interview. I will also put all the links to his businesses in the description of this episode, so be sure to check that out. Before we get into today's interview, let's quickly go over a little bit of Japanese. In the previous episode, I taught you a phrase which means, I don't know, or I don't understand. Wakarimasen. 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 Today, we'll go over the Japanese equivalent of the phrase cheers, which you can use when drinking with friends or clients. Kampai. 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 Especially if you're out drinking with colleagues, you can use a phrase we learned in a previous episode as well. Otsukare sama deshita, which roughly translates to Great work today. And now let's get into today's conversation. Would you mind introducing yourself to my audience? Good evening.、Uh, this is Anil Raj,、uh, an ex banking IT professional. That's what I would like to call myself, turned、uh, serial entrepreneur. I am from India.、I、did my MS in IT from Australia. And after a start, short stint in Indonesia, I arrived in Japan、uh, in 1998. So, why so, did you decide to stay in Japan? Actually, when, when I was in Indonesia, I,、uh, I was applying for jobs in the US, UK, and other places. And I never had a clue that I'll be coming to Japan. So, that's when、uh, somebody from Japan、uh, called me and asked me if、uh, I would like to go for a few rounds of interviews because they found my skill set to be matching what their requirement. So、uh, it was a company called Fusion Systems at that time. And、uh, I said, I went through four rounds of interviews, and the、uh, president asked me to come down to Japan. So I, I had never applied to Japan, or I never, had never any clue about Japan other than what we actually study in our textbooks in, in the school. right? So that's how I landed in Japan. So, I came, came as an IT engineer, IT network engineer, fusion systems, then mostly worked in investment banks, then moved on to investment banks, worked in investment banks like、um, Credit Suisse,、uh, Dresdner, which is a German investment bank,、uh, Shinsei Bank, which is a Japanese retail bank, and、uh, my last bank, bank job was Citibank. So, you describe yourself as a serial entrepreneur. What did that journey look like for you in Japan? Uh, in 2005, I,、uh, while I was, of course, I was、uh, thinking about business right from my、uh, school days, like 11th and 12th high school.、Right. So I never had the 
chance or I'd never had the opportunity at the, uh, till 2005 to get into something. I was just building my, what they call uh, the kitty uh, to someday start business. Right. So in 2005, when I was in, when I was working for Credit Suisse, um, I went, went to them and asked, uh, asked the compliance if I could start any IT company. So at that time, I think because the financial regulations were very uh, tough. So uh, even now it is tough, but uh, uh, they said, no, IT cannot, I cannot start an IT company because there's, there'll be conflict of interest. So then uh, I came up, brainstormed and came up with, okay, well, how about uh, Indian restaurant? So, because at that time there were no South Indian restaurants in Japan, so that was that was a vacuum that I I could identify and said okay, went back to them and asked them if uh, it's okay for me to start IT IT uh, Indian restaurants. So they said okay, Indian restaurants we don't have any conflict of interest with the company, so they gave me a permission to start Indian restaurant in 2005. So that's how that that's how my entrepreneurial journey started in Japan. So uh, after 2005, then uh, by the time uh, I moved, I moved companies to Dresner and Shinsei and Citibank. By the time I came to Citibank, uh, it, my journey, it was a 10 year journey there. And by the time we came there, I had four restaurants and I had also started a kindergarten school along with a friend of mine. So we had all this plus a full-time job, which was uh, difficult to manage. So that's when I said goodbye to, a, to my job and then got into full-time entrepreneurship. So since then we have added uh, two more restaurants. Now we have six restaurants, uh, a kindergarten school with, uh, I run with my friend and uh, uh, an IT company called Nehan Technologies, uh, which also I run with another friend of mine. Uh, we have a, a foreign language school in uh, India in a place called Hyderabad, Hyderabad city, which is called Vivekananda Institute of Foreign Languages. So we teach Japanese there. And we also do some kind of uh, bridging business between India and Japan, like uh, facilitating Japanese companies uh, going to India or Indian companies who would like to establish their presence in Japan. So that's the summary of what all I do right now. So it sounds like even from the beginning, you were extremely busy trying to start your own business on top of having a full-time job. So what was it that made you decide to pursue entrepreneurship instead of just focusing on more of a standardized career? Did you have more of a creative personality? Did you like having more control over your own time and your own work? What was it? Right from my school days, like uh, I had this passion of starting on my own, right? I would I would like to build a, a business, not only a business. I I wanted to build multiple businesses. That's why my, the, my company name was formed in my twelfth grade. Uh, the company name is called Raj Group. The idea at that time itself was to form not just one business, to form multiple businesses and form it into a group. So I never knew when it will happen. Uh, I never knew how it will happen, but I wanted to do that at that time uh, during my 12th grade. And all my 12th grade uh, classmates, friends, everybody knew about this name called Raj Group. So even early 2000s, they used to ask me, did you start your Raj Group? Right, so that's how, that's how it started. And uh, by the time when I came, by the time uh, we were in 2004, 
five, then that's when I said, okay, I have to, I have to start it now or it'll never happen. Yeah, that's awesome. So then how does entrepreneurship look like in Japan specifically? Is there anything unique about it? Yes, entrepreneurship is quite unique in Japan. In fact, Japan as a country is quite unique. I have been I have been to several countries like London, Singapore. Uh, I have stayed in Australia. I have stayed in Indonesia. Uh, entrepreneurship is very different in Japan. Uh, even not only entrepreneurship, everything is different in Japan, right? In Japan, uh, usually uh, from an entrepreneurship point of view, Japanese people are uh, usually risk averse. But things are changing quite a bit. But uh, uh, they they used to be very risk averse. Even even now they're risk averse. Uh, most of them prefer uh, stable jobs or what is locally called as salary man, right? That's that's the term they use, right? Uh, I guess recently uh, we can see an increase in startups and entrepreneurs uh, seem to be inspired by these recent success of Mercari and Rakuten and Re and all those stuff. There are there are recent uh, startup successes that uh, people follow. And recently I've seen, seen, considering what it was when I came here and uh, the change in two decades, entrepreneurship is picking up in Japan. You mentioned the risk aversion in Japanese culture. Are there any other parts of Japanese culture that might make entrepreneurship in the country challenging? There are, uh, like, let's say, for example, uh, a foreigner faces a lot of uh, challenges here. Uh, as a foreigner, uh, because uh, what do you call uh, the challenge begins with the language, where all the information about facilities, subsidies, or how to go about things, or where to get the licensing, everything, all the information is in Japanese, right? Even foreigners who speak very well find it difficult as they don't read or write. Right. Nowadays with technology, things have become a bit easier. You can get uh, Google translations and all the stuff. But back in 2005, all these were not there. You have to rely on somebody. Uh, you have to rely on your friends. You have to rely on. And as a startup, you, you don't have funds to actually hire full time translators or anything like that. So startups, it's a bit tough. So the first time entrepreneurs, Yes, first generation entrepreneurs, they, they find it very difficult, for, uh, difficult, especially foreign entrepreneurs. But for ja- people who read, write Japanese, uh, then uh, it's, it's a bit easier. But uh, as a foreigner, you face a lot of other difficulties also. Like, uh, let's say, uh, you want to hire, you want to uh, rent an apartment, you want to rent an office space, right? So these kind of, uh, culture differences are there. And it's uh, 2005 when I wanted my first restaurant. It was very tough to convince a foreign, uh, uh, what do you call, uh, a building owner to give it to a foreigner. So the, these kind of issues uh, were there uh, during that time. But those kind of issues uh, slowly, I think uh, it's improving here. Can you tell us a little bit about in what ways it's improving? Are people learning better how to accommodate foreigners or is the culture itself changing a little bit? The culture, I think uh, during those days, uh, that was probably, uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, that was probably the first wave of IT engineers coming into Japan, uh, especially from India. 
right so nowadays i think there are there are parts of um, uh, parts of tokyo where you can find plenty of it engineers in that locality right so i i guess it's a it's a thing like uh, people are getting used to foreigners that is one thing and people are uh, experimenting with foreigners now uh, compared to what it was 20 uh, 20 years back a uh, lot of foreign entrepreneurs are there right i think i think more awareness and more uh, more more foreigners mingle with the japanese uh, as a society right so i think that kind of changes and also uh, businesses there are a lot of foreign companies coming in for foreign companies in japan right now so i think that that makes a lot of difference now and you mentioned that you think that it's very important for people coming in to do business in japan to learn the language and you also mentioned that maybe it's not enough to just speak the language it's also useful to read and write to what extent do you think that's important especially as it's becoming a little bit more foreigner friendly is it best for foreigners to try to become more just functional or does it really pay off to really invest in learning the language more deeply uh, i think uh, language is quite important but language is not the only thing because i think uh, i guess learning the language and the nuances of japanese culture will not only make it easy to do business but also help you gel with your japanese customers right most of m- most of the businesses in japan happens through relationships and not in a formal office setup it is it is important and very common to go out uh, drinking with your clients and this is where language plays an important role right japanese japanese people expect you to be they're not expecting you to be perfect in japanese but they definitely appreciate your effort to speak in japanese so you don't you don't need to be perfect uh, but if you're perfect it's fine but uh, i think your uh, willingness to learn japanese or willingness to communicate with them in japanese is sufficient i think uh, other, of course if you're if you're a startup the more japanese you know the better it is because you you don't spend much time much on translations translators and all this so if you if you read and write nothing like it but i don't i don't read and write uh, and t- in 2005 i didn't even speak much of japanese uh, beyond the basics in 2005 but I, in 10 years i think i picked up enough japanese just by talking to my vendors and um, uh, what they call customers and everything so so i think uh, to start off it's the attitude that you have to uh, attitude is more important your willingness to try to speak in japanese is more important more than the language itself yeah. talking more about the attitude you think is useful for doing business in japan what type of person tends to be more successful doing business in japan and what person might find it more difficult or just not be able to maybe gel as well with japanese people i think uh, uh, people who are a bit more flexible right people who are a bit more flexible uh, it would definitely help and people who are methodical and follow ups um, people who actually follow follow up and most important people who are punctual mm. right it is it is very important in japanese uh, japanese culture that you reach 5 minutes before the meeting 
right? So they're, they're not expecting you to reach 15, 20 minutes before the meeting. But in fact, in fact, uh, some of my Japanese business partners say that if you reach for a meeting and 20 minutes before a meeting, that means you are useless because you don't know how to manage your time. So that's the, that's the kind of attitude that Japanese businessmen have, right? So you are supposed to reach there five minutes before and uh, you're supposed to be on time on all meetings. And here commitment is a big thing because if you, if you say that you will deliver it on a particular day, they expect you to uh, deliver it on that day, right? Or if you see any delays, then they expect you to be notifying them as early as possible. But as early as you know, it is going to be delayed, right? So these kind of things, uh, it, it's, it's different. Uh, punctuality is not uh, out abroad. Punctuality, of course, punctuality is important, but it's not uh, considered to be a must, right? Even if five minutes delayed, I think people, people are a bit uh, okay. Uh, but for Japanese, five minutes delay is not good. Is there any sort of mindset that's useful for people going to do business in Japan? You mentioned have, having a more flexible mindset, but is there anything else that would be useful? Um, willing to learn the language, willing to learn the culture, right? Uh, you, you have to be willing to learn the nuances of the culture, which, which probably not many textbooks will tell you as to how how things work but that you have to you have to mingle with them gel with them and then understand what is it like simple things like uh, you need to know where you have to sit when you are with a client you need to know where you have to sit when you are with a vendor so these are these are two different places like there are there are places like, like designated like if you are in a group and you are you are going for a dinner with your client, you need to know where you have to be sitting and how important that client is. Here, here client is very, client is the king, customer is the king. So you, you need to know how to treat them, right? So that lot of, lot of people abroad, they don't know. Where unless, unless you have somebody living here for, let's say five to 10 years, they, you, you, you do not know the uh, seriousness of that, uh, what you call hierarchy system. And would you say that vendors and clients tend to hold foreigners to maybe a similar standard that they would with other Japanese people? Do they get a little bit more grace or is it somewhere in between where they'll forgive a few things, but overall you should work as hard as possible to hold yourself to the Japanese standard? Um, I think uh, even in Japanese, there, there are some, some places I think uh, you can uh, get away being a foreigner, right? Because they they also understand that you might not know 100% of what is being expected in a Japanese environment, right? But overall, the, the quality of the service or quality of the delivery of the goods or service uh, should definitely be of high standard, right? But some places they they could uh, give you give you some grace, so. But uh, as long as you uh, are willing to accept the mistakes, as long as you don't repeat those mistakes, uh, and uh, as long as you cooperate and get the things done, I think uh, your, your customer would be happy.
Right. So showing a willingness to learn in every situation definitely sounds like an asset in Japan. Though it's yes, probably yes. true anywhere, but especially so in Japan. <laughs> yes, yes. They are, they're very sensitive. They're very sensitive. And they will, they will support you also, even if, you have, even, even if you have made a mistake. But if you have the right attitude, right mindset, uh, they, will, they will probably pardon you for the small mistakes. So that willingness to forgive small mistakes, do you think that yeah. comes back to the importance of relationships in Japan? Yes. Relationship, relationship is very important in Japan. So uh, I think uh, much more than any other country that I've seen. Let's say, for example, you are dealing with a, with a company uh, for 10 years. And uh, in, in some other country, if somebody comes to you with, uh, somebody comes to the customer with a with the same service or same product with uh, 20% less the price, they would immediately jump. But in Japan, they don't do that, right? A person a person who has, has had 10 years of uh, relationship, anybody comes in, cuts his price by 10% or 20%, 15%, right? Japanese customers will not will not move. They will continue the relationship with you. But in other countries, I can see you can see if somebody comes comes up with ten uh, percent discount on the service, you, those guys, I mean, customers will definitely move to that. Especially me as an American from the United mm-hmm. States, mm-hmm. that just is a very foreign concept to me. Yes. Sticking with a relationship that um, maybe, to an American perspective, may have outlived its usefulness. Do you know Correct. why there's such a stark contrast in the view of relationship between more Western um, American mindset and Japan specifically? Yeah, because I think uh, uh, here relationship is very important. The, the product or the price is not important, right? It, because what they say, let's say, for example, the, the worst that, that might happen in the scenario that I told you, like somebody else came up with a 10% uh, discount for the same product. All right, uh, or a similar product, the customer will go back to his vendor and say, guys, uh, we are getting this, but we don't want to squeeze you, but at least come up with a 5% discount so that I can, I can tell my manager that, okay, uh, he's been here, he has been, he's going down 5%. Okay, so it sounds like they do what they can to give the other people the opportunity to make things right on their end as well. Yes, but, but most, in most cases, uh, they would not entertain this guy who comes in with 10% discount, in most cases. Leave alone renegotiating the price. They, in most cases, they don't, uh, they don't renegotiate, but in case they have to, they will stick to the same vendor, but he will, they will ask him to uh, come down to the price. Huh, that's interesting. So then that has to make it quite a bit harder for entrepreneurs who are coming in with better offers. If companies tend to want to stick to the relationships they have, what can startups or smaller new companies do to maybe not break that relationship, but cultivate a new relationship, even where it might in some ways interfere with relationships that that company already has? Uh, yes, I think uh, it, it might be difficult if uh, entrepreneurs focus on the same product that is already there in the market. But if there is a different product which is not there in the market and if they are serving a different segment, 
right like let's say it's a new product where which actually replaces or which uh, disrupts the current product then then probably entrepreneurs have a chance to do it otherwise getting into these big companies with the same products same service i it's it's very difficult so you think that a company that's coming in just trying to sell a better version of what's already out there they would mm. experience a lot more difficulties yes uh, it, it has to be way better or it has to be a disruption in technology the, if the, if you have to be if you have to get into those big companies is this mindset any different with smaller japanese companies or is it pretty consistent across the board uh, i think that is pretty consistent the, the mindset is pretty consistent but uh, i think uh, with a lot of foreign people who have started working in japanese companies that some of the japanese companies are becoming a bit global just like you can see rakuten or mercari or something like that. they have a lot of global systems in it so there i think uh, they don't have this japanese mindset but still uh, the back uh, what do you call they they are a japanese company with a global mindset but uh, it's still not equivalent to what um, it is in it is in us but Uh, it is much better than the traditional japanese companies where they don't they don't budge for any new uh, what they call for new vendors or anything like that so seeing how important relationships are in japan do you have mm. any advice for foreigners who want to develop those strong deep relationships obviously coming in with a different cultural background can raise mm. some difficulties but is there anything specific foreigners can do uh i think uh, what they call if somebody is coming from outside japan to build a business in japan the first thing that they they have to do is find somebody in japan who understands both worlds japanese japan business and also their own country or uh, global business right because that will give them a head start in uh, in japan so what i think i think that's probably the first thing that they have to do find somebody here who can bridge them between the japanese companies and their company abroad and that will give them a good leverage for startup so once they set it up, set up their things and then probably hires a hire a few japanese then probably uh, things will be a smoother but uh, initially yes they need somebody who who will uh, bridge between their culture and japan that's interesting i've heard that mm-hmm. from other people as well some people even go so far as to suggest that you really can't start a business in japan if you don't have a japanese partner or some equivalent of that what do you think about that um yes without japanese part it doesn't have to be a japanese partner it has to be a partner who understands both uh, the what do you call outside world and japan hmm. equally so both, both both businesses if they understand i think that's that's better because okay. having a, having a totally japanese partner what, what happens what will happen is um, i don't know if if it's a japanese partner whether uh, he speaks english or he has some or a japanese partner who has uh, experience abroad right that would that would also do but somebody who understands both both sides okay so it's almost just more about having a cultural go between than actually yes. having just yes yes okay 
That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I've heard an interview from you about mentorship and yeah. how important you think that is. Can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about that? Uh, regarding mentorship in Japan, uh, it is quite different from uh, what it is in other parts of the world. Uh, the the depth of relationship is very important in Japan to mentor somebody. Like 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 let's say uh, a teacher student relationship is where I have seen uh, transforming into a mentor mentee uh, relationship, or even a senior junior at college. Uh, transforms into a mentor mentee relationships. But le- whereas in other countries, you could meet up somebody in a party and I request, request uh, him to be a mentor, him or her to be your mentor, right? So depth of relationship is not necessary in other countries, but in Japan, depth of relationship is very important. So either he has to be your senior in college, school, or you have to be uh, playing with him for quite some time and then you uh, you have to build the relationship first to request him to be your mentor. Right. So that's that's very important in Japan. So again, every, everything is based on relationship here. So I, I don't know. In US, I think uh, you, can, you can meet somebody in a party and then uh, meet him a few times and then you can request him to be a mentor, right? But in Japan, it usually doesn't work like that. So then how do people usually go about finding these kinds of mentorships? Does it you just have kind to of go happen? through a, Yeah, you have to go through an alumni or you have to you have to be introduced by somebody the other person trusts. Hmm. You you cannot just meet up in a party and then ask for it. You have to go through a either an alumni or a group uh, or a what do you call uh, maybe a research group which is in your research group or maybe uh, he, he's your teacher or maybe what do you call uh, you, you you and your mentor have a common teacher right who has taught you in school or college so then you you get a reference from your uh, ask your teacher to introduce you to him so once a teacher introduces then th- that that bonding is very high very good okay so does it have to be more of an organizational thing? Like you have some sort of business in common, a school in common, or can it also just be a shared friend or associate? Uh, the best would be some senior in your college or school, or some uh, you have common teacher together, I mean, common teacher or some from the universities. That that Those kind of bondings are much more better here, right? But Friends, yes, but uh, I, I don't see that as a mentor-mentee relationship. But sometimes they support you. Okay. But basic thing is the trust in the relationship. The trust is built in those kind of relationship here. So mm. what makes this mentor-mentee relationship so much different from just maybe a friend who also supports you in business? Uh, that they, uh, I don't know if... Uh, in Japan, uh, you can call it a mentor-mentee relationship. Uh, you might call it a, just a support system, right? Uh, it's it's like some some of uh, a friend supporting you, right? So uh, whether they give it that formal uh, name of mentor-mentee, I don't think so, because a lot of people here are very supportive. Like if if uh, you request your friend to be uh, your friend to introduce some to someone who 
can help you they might just help you like like one off or a few few times right but i don't think that will be a mentor mentee relationship so then what role does mentorship play specifically for entrepreneurs in japan among japanese entrepreneurs i'm not sure uh if what do you call uh, they they look at it as a mentor uh, rather uh, among japanese entrepreneurs i i'm exactly not sure but in expats here uh, we do have uh, like let's say some people come to me and say that okay they want uh, to be mentored so then then i actually sit with them and uh, train them or uh, tell them uh, how to how to start a business and how to uh, build a business and they have some ideas they come with a brainstorming idea right so this is this is our expats but uh, in japanese uh, i think it 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 will most likely be a teacher student relationship mentorship among expats is usually between expats rather than a japanese person and an expat mostly between expats yeah okay that makes sense mostly mostly between expats because uh, yeah i have not i have not seen people uh, between japanese and foreigners because usually i think a uh, lot of japanese uh, there there's a age gap uh, in mentor mentee relationship in japan mm-hmm. and uh, it is probably difficult to reach because you, you have not studied like i told you it has to be either in a university group or you have to be a, you have to be a teacher student relationship or anything like that but as an expat you don't have both of these right right you don't have both of these so what what happens is you uh, it is it could be rare but i have never seen any mentor mentee relationship between a japanese uh, mentor and a uh, foreign mentee what does this mentorship do for people who are trying to start businesses is it more just having somebody to help you through your ideas are there any other purposes that it serves you you can you can brainstorm with them that is one thing second thing is you can use their connections they they help you with their connections so uh, usually a mentor definitely has lot of connections in the industry if it, if he is in the same industry he has definitely lot of references that he can give you and just just being a mentor just mentioning his name sometimes is sufficient if he is if he is very popular in the industry then just mentioning his name is sufficient for the other people to trust you Huh. Are you just saying that okay this guy is my mentor or hear what they say senpai and whatever so mm-hmm. uh, th- that gives a lot of trust built in trust it's almost gaining social capital through somebody yeah. else yes yes i see so what would you suggest people do who want to find a mentor while they're doing business in Japan what kinds of things can they do since they don't have those same alumni networks yes i think uh, they should go first first step is to go through their expat network because there there's a lot of expat networks here there's a lot of networking communities here and uh, even entrepreneurs there are plenty of entrepreneurs find a good entrepreneur find uh, in your area of specialization and mostly you will get somebody uh, in the expat community and the next step is probably uh, you could try in the japanese community also but uh, I, i wouldn't say it is impossible but definitely it is it is difficult first thing is the language is the is, will be the biggest barrier but uh, expat community i think you can most, most of them speak english so uh, you could find a mentor here 
Right. And then in your experience, what does that relationship usually look like? You mentioned meeting with people and talking through their ideas. Are there any other parts of the relationship? Yeah. In, in sometimes sometime you can probably give references. Like okay. let's say if, if somebody somebody's in that area and uh, I know somebody in that area, then I will just I'll just call him up and say that okay, this guy's coming to meet you and see what you can do for him. If he's close, if he's close to me, then I would say yeah, please help him out. So why do you suggest that people who are established in Japan mentor other people? Uh, it's not just people who are established in Japan. Uh, after a particular uh, level, right? So once you have learned things, once you have uh, Usually, entrepreneurs after a particular age, they they feel that they have to give back to the society, right? So they have that feeling. When you are actually building your business, yes, you you, you don't have time. But after some time, you think that okay, uh, the experience that you have actually should be uh, useful to somebody else. So that kind of that kind of uh, uh, what do you call you 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 tend to tend to think in that way after after a few years or after a decade or two in entrepreneurship so that's that's why you accept mentorship when somebody comes to you and says that okay i want help in this area because i've noticed a trend lately at least in the states i'm not sure about other parts of the world where rather than people mentoring others in their own businesses on a relationship basis there's been more of a move towards consultancy like personal coaches and things like that is that mm. a thing at all in japan or is it mostly more of these informal mentorship programs i think i think it is uh, it is still not uh, there in japan business coach and uh, those kind of things the paid you're, you're talking about paid mentorship right mm-hmm. right so like like a business coach i think that has not caught up in japan so well compared to us or uk or australia Right. So co- compared to the English speaking countries, it has not caught up that well because here uh, I don't think mentorships work in that way. Like I told you, it's, it's about relationship, mm-hmm. not about uh, somebody coming up with a quotation and saying that, OK, I'll mentor you in this, this, this areas and then you pay so much. So it's more about relationship. And mostly I think mentorships uh, in Japan would probably mostly it would be. Uh, free of cost or in kind mm-hmm. right uh, uh, paid mentorships paid coaches uh, there are a few expat business coaches but uh, i think when you go into the japanese industry i i have rarely seen a japanese business coach right so it's the paid mentorship is not yet very popular in japan that's interesting. Do you mm. think it has something to do with them valuing relationships so much that charging money for that sort of thing just seems strange or doesn't seem genuine? Is that part of it? I guess it's a culture thing. Mm-hmm. It's a culture thing where like, uh, it's not just about charging money. Money, money actually flows even in, even in businesses. Uh, uh, like let's say somebody helps you do something. Money actually flows even without saying even okay. without asking, right? So even without asking money flows, but uh, in this kind of relationship, it is more like a teacher student relationship. So uh, the money doesn't directly flow into, uh, it, money doesn't flow, but in kind, yes, a lot of, lot of things, parties or whatever, whatever. So those kind of things happen, but money doesn't flow directly. 
Thank you for explaining all of that. But in your experiences in Japan, do you have any、um, occasions where there was a major breakdown in communication because of cultural differences? Yeah, of course. There, 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 yeah, there are plenty of experiences.、Mm-hmm. Yeah. So,、uh, yeah, when I did my first restaurant in 2005, right, I did not speak much Japanese other than the basic greetings. Right, so、uh, had plenty of communication issue with the design and interior guys and all the stuff. So、uh, due to which we never worked with,、uh, they never worked with us in future projects. Right, yeah. So because because it was very difficult for me to explain to them that if it was then、uh, he the person who was doing it he did not speak any English. Right, so it was it was very difficult communication. He was a nice guy, but probably he wanted clear instructions in Japanese as to what has to be done, how it has to be done, and、uh, here here the instructions have to be clear in Japanese. Right, they they don't assume things.、Uh, you have to specify the instructions here. Right, so it's it's not just about the language. There are a lot of lot of nuances that you need to understand beyond the language factor. Right, you need to know, like I like I told you earlier, you, you need to know where you sit, and you need to know what you do, and how to greet him, how to、uh, how to exchange business cards. Everything has how to shake hands. Everything has a ha, has its own way of doing things in Japan. Right, so there are a so, lot of details. Yeah, it's、important. not just about the just about the language. Right, some people some people get offended from for things that you. You think that's a very small thing.、Hmm. Do you have any examples of small things that could make people feel offended? Ah,、uh, uh, yes. So,、uh, I think in, it was in '99. I went into a restaurant with a friend of mine, with a colleague of mine, right? Who was a, who was a very strong Japanese with a strong Japanese attitude, right? We both went to a Chinese restaurant. And、uh, we ate the, ate there and got out of the Chinese restaurant. And while paying the bill, while paying the bill,、uh, after paying the bill, he he came and told me, "I will never come back to this restaurant." I thought I, I was worried because at that time I hardly spent around one year in Japan. And I asked him, "The food was good, the service was not bad." From a from an Indian point of view, Indian who has been here for one year, right? For a Japanese, yes, probably the service was not that good. But, but again,、uh, then I asked him, like, why did you say that? I didn't find any problem, right? So at the last, when he she was giving the change, she did not say the prop appropriate words, right?、Oh. She did not say the appropriate words that has to be told because she was a Chinese, she was a Chinese person. Of course, she she probably does not know the Japanese.、Uh, she is not equivalent to a Japanese. She did not know in Japanese what to say when you give the give back the change. And there was some confusion in that change factor, change problem, change uh, 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 change the money, right? So he said he will never come back to this、uh, restaurant again, right? So you you can imagine like coming from a different country, I would. I would say that's not a big deal.、Mm-hmm. And was that sort of small thing harder to forgive because it was a、um, somebody working at a restaurant to a customer? Because those small things may be forgiven if it was, for example, a company meeting each other, like two people from a different company meeting each other for the first time. Is it because it was a service person not treating a customer correctly? 
No, uh, from my point of view, I, I did not find anything wrong there. Mm-hmm. But from a Japanese perspective, uh, they didn't do, the, do it right. Okay. Right? Then the exchange of money was... Uh, she didn't, here, here, for everything, they tell you how much, how much money you have given, oh, right. how much... They tell you, they tell you, okay, I got the 10,000 yen and this is how much it will cost. And this is how this, they, it's, it's an automatic thing for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And that is what be, was being expected by, by my Japanese friend. Right. So for me as a foreigner, she gave back my money. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I, I just get out of that place. Right. So I, I, I did not have an issue, but he had an issue with that. Uh, there was no proper communication at that place. Interesting. Mm. So these kind of uh, nuances are there. So then if you knew somebody who was going to Japan for business for the first time, they knew nothing about the country and you could only give them one piece of advice or teach them about one thing, what would that be? Uh, Like I told you, if if they are coming from abroad to to Japan for business, um, it is difficult to sum up everything in that one thing, Mm -hmm. right? But since you insist on one thing, I would suggest that you partner with somebody who understands not only Japan, but businesses abroad, right? That is is the one thing. So the rest of the things leave it to him or her, right? That That will not only give you a, give them a head start, on a lot of things, but it'll also make their life easier for them. Again, it all just comes down to relationships. Have a relationship with somebody who understands what's going on better than you do. Yes, yes, yes. All right, well, perfect. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you would like to let my audience know about? I think, thank you. And yeah, uh, it it was a pleasure uh, to be on your podcast. And uh, if you need anything in Japan, please uh, feel free to get in touch with me or I can introduce you to somebody who's uh, in the area of expertise that you're looking at. So yeah, good to be on your podcast. All right. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Lydia. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I hope that you enjoyed today's conversation as much as I did. Be sure to check out the links in today's episode to see some of the entrepreneurial ventures Anil is working on right now. But for now, remember that the more you learn, the more confident you will become as you explore all of the opportunities Japan has to offer you. So if you found the information here today useful, please subscribe for more Japanese language and cultural guidance. And if you enjoy the podcast and want to hear more content in the future, please consider leaving a review. It really helps other people find the show. And of course, if you have any other questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes or interview topics, please email me at businesssuccessjapan at gmail.com. Until next time, mata kondo!